0: All right, we're in Mark 14. So tonight, the name of the sermon is Give and Pray. Uh, last week, we talked about believing and praying. This series is very much about prayer. It's been said many times. And I think Dave has said it. He always says, all the preacher has to say is, Tonight we're going to be talking about prayer and I'm already convicted. I very much feel that way. My prayer life is for sure not what it should be. I am more of a doer and I, I sometimes forget to pray. So um, it's good to focus on prayer and the, the main focus is godly requests. So we're we're going through this final week of Jesus' life and looking at questions that are asked both by Jesus and to Jesus and to others and then we're pulling out the godly requests from those. So. That's where we're at in Mark 14. We started last week on Palm Sunday. We went Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then we skipped Mark 12 and 13, uh, which I would say were, are probably Wednesday and Thursday, but the first verse of Mark 14 says, after two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we kind of skipped those two days, and now we're into Friday, or uh, yeah. It, it, it's basically like, I guess it would be Thursday night, but that that would be like starting Friday. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we talked about Passover and what that was. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is like right there with it. It's kind of following and kind of right at the same time as Passover. You can read about it in Exodus. But um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, when it starts, it starts on the night that the Passover lamb is sacrificed and you eat that unleavened bread for a week. But not only that, you remove all leaven from your house, signifying uh, throughout the Bible, leaven is always a metaphor for corruption. Whether it's sin or evil or false doctrine, it's always spoken of. Leaven is, is corruption. So this is signifying removing the corruption from your lives, and again, that Passover lamb being the sacrifice for... during the first Passover, that blood was the sacrifice instead of the firstborn son. And so that family was covered by the blood of, of the lamb. The Bible says that Jesus is our great Passover lamb, right? So his blood covers our family. It covers our sins. And when we have faith in Jesus and what he did for us and in that sacrifice, then we are, we are under that propitiation, that, that sanctifying sacrifice. So, The Feast of Unleavened Bread is where we're at. They're sitting down to eat that. And it says, The chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. Again, the religious leaders of the time, they're kind of always concerned about what the people are going to think, whether people like them, or whether people are going to, you know, rebel against what they're doing. They're always sort of fearful of... Man, and I have written here, religion absent of God is corruption. So, I don't want to go so far as to say, like, oh, religion is bad. Yes, it's more about relationship, but really, it's it's corrupt religion that is bad. And and if you focus too much on the religion itself, then you seem to forget about God. That's sort of the way our human hearts So we need to continually focus on what God actually said and what he actually wants us to do. So religion absent of God is corruption. So that's significant because they're preparing for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They're purging their entire house and their entire lives of all the leaven from their lives. Again, signifying that we're, we're being cleansed by the sacrificial lamb. And while they're in the process of purging their houses and their lives of uh, corruption of leaven, they are revealing the leaven in their, in themselves, in their own lives. That corrupt religion makes people do really weird things. So, as you read the story of the crucifixion leading up to the crucif- crucifixion, it's really interesting. Because again, the, the day that they should be purging themselves and their lives of corruption in obedience to God, they're actually secretly plotting against God and seeking to kill his son. And they do it all under the cover of night. They're very secretive and trickery and deception. And they're doing all these wicked, wicked things all while they're preparing for one of the main feasts of the year. And they they break the law so much. And you'll see one of the examples is they don't want to, you know, be working while Jesus is dying. So they're like, hey, let's break his legs. And then when they go to do so... His, he's already dead, right? So they, they stab him with the spear, but the idea is, oh, it's... the Sabbath is upon us, let's uh, you know, let's hurry this up, because the law says that we're not supposed to work, we're not supposed to be out f- during the Sabbath. So the law says they're not supposed to be working, actually, for this whole week, the week of unleavened bread, as it starts. So they make haste to break the law by hurrying up and killing the Son of God, murdering him, so that they can go feast with their family. Like, let's go celebrate this, like, religious feast and this, 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 this religious rite, you know, that, that purifies us. And they're actually doing everything to break the law. Do not murder, right? Do not bear false witness. Do not, uh, take the Lord's name in vain. They're speaking against God. Not only are they, you know, using it in vain of like, oh, God, save us, you know, but they're actually going, speaking against Jesus himself. So they're breaking, like, literally all of the law, the entire thing, all while saying, oh, this is going to be our, you know, religious rite, this big feast, and let's go celebrate with our families. So it's interesting to look at that corruption as they're supposedly getting rid of the corruption, when they're really not, because they're doing everything against God. Uh, Verse 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper... As he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. This is Jesus' head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her. Sharply, your Bible might also say that they scolded her. That's kind of what that that word means. They're actually scolding her for doing this for Jesus. Uh, a quick note about that spikenard being three hundred denari. A denarii was basically a day's wage, so three hundred denari is like almost a year's wage. So we're talking, and this is for like a blue letter worker or a blue blue letter blue uh, blue color worker, right? So we're talking like twenty thirty thousand dollar flask of oil that she is anointing jesus with and this brings us to our first question we're going to be looking at nine more questions tonight don't worry we're not going to go through the whole chapter we're going to go through uh verse 38 but there's nine questions in there that we're gonna that we're gonna look at so i'll kind of blow through those this first question is why was the oil wasted yes Amy. what chapter
1: 14. Uh, mark 14
0: um Why was the oil wasted? They're scolding her for wasting this oil.
1: It's a trick question.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, exactly. But that was their question, right? In verse four. Yeah,
1: that's true.
0: It's really easy. I, I was thinking about it, praying about it, to criticize what we think others are doing wrong, isn't it? Like, oh, what is she doing? And we're, it's always so much easier to see what we think other people are doing wrong instead of focusing on our on ourself. And that's why Jesus constantly is telling us, "Hey, look at yourself before you start looking at others." You know, um, careful about judging because you're going to be judged with the same harshness. That kind of that kind of language. We're we're so easily able to like pick out what we think is wrong, and it's also very revealing what offends us. It reveals something about ourselves when we get offended by someone or by something that someone is doing. It kind of shows you what you value. And them getting offended by this shows us what they valued, right? And it's not the poor. They're kind of covering what they valued with, oh, and they could sell it for, for the poor. No, they valued the money. They valued the money. It's 300 denarii. We could totally have sold that for the poor. Like they're trying to sound really righteous and spiritual here, but they really, they value the money. Um, also, as I was thinking about this, something that struck me is that it's okay to have nice things if you use them for God. I sometimes feel bad for spending money on our yard or our house, and it's one of those things of like, yeah, but like we rebuilt this house and we are redoing this yard. Like our focus and our hope is that people will come here to worship God, to hang out, to to fellowship, to do things uh, that that glorify God. That is our That is our hope. So, sometimes I have to check myself uh, about like, oh, I have nice things or we do nice things. You know, going on vacations, sometimes I'm like, oh, should we be spending the money? You know, I have this religious heart where I'm like, oh, we could have used that money to give to the poor, you know, or whatever. But... (laughs) It's okay to sow into your marriage. It's okay to sow into your house as long as you're not worshiping that money, worshiping that event or that thing that you're putting money into and actually like using it for God and and doing everything for the glory of God. Another, the number three on this point here is this same complaint of like, why are you wasting this money? Or why are you wasting time? I've seen that this complaint that they're asking, like, why is this oil wasted? I've seen it in our day in a different form, and that is people saying that mission work is a waste of time, and supporting missionaries is a waste of money. And these are Christians, people who go to church weekly, and they don't believe in supporting missionaries. And what I'll say about this is this is merely an excuse for not giving. Like, this is not a godly thing to think about and godly thing to say. It's not okay to say, like, no, I refuse. This is a waste of time and money to to support missions. That's, like, honestly the opposite of the Word of God. So don't listen to that and don't don't fall into that. Finally, number four here is uh, what is given to God is never wasted. It's never wasted. Obviously, we need to be wise with what we give, but... We need to really be willing to give and not be afraid to give and not think like even if we give something for the glory of God and then it turns out to seemingly not do anything, it wasn't a waste. God still sees it as a glorious thing, you being willing to give to him and for him. So as we move on in verse 6, it says, But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. This is our second question of the night. Why do you trouble her? The people who criticized her, again, they, they were trying to act all righteous and spiritual, like, oh, the poor, right? But Jesus says, no, it's not good for you to say this. She's doing a good thing. She's, she's worshiping her Lord. This is a good and righteous thing for her to be doing this. Let's not be afraid to stand up for people. Jesus Simply says, "Leave her, hey, leave her alone." Like she, she's being wrongly persecuted for worshiping Jesus, for you know doing this amazingly, like over the top thing, and people are like, "Oh, geez, like is that really necessary?" But to her, it was like this is this is what she felt in her heart, like would be glorifying to God. This is Jesus speaking here. You have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish. You may do them good, but me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Jesus here again is prophesying about his murder. She is preparing me for burial. I
1: wonder what they
0: thought when he said that. What? That's (laughs) weird. (laughs)
1: Like, burial, not for many years. (laughs)
0: Uh, I like that he says she has done what she could, though. Mm. She's done what she could. So my question is: Have you done what you are able to do? Have you have you given like that? Consider what you're able to give, and then give it cheerfully. Be be willing to really like give with your whole heart. Uh, in chapter 12, just before this, uh, a woman, an old widow, gives two mites. Now we talked about the denarii being a day's a, a single denarii is a day's wage, right? one day's wage. A mite, there's 128 mites in one denary. So it's a very small coin. But Jesus says that her gift, her offering, was worth more than anybody else's who gave anything because she couldn't afford it. She was, Jesus says in, uh, again, chapter 12 there at the end, she gave her whole livelihood. like. She could not afford to give, and yet she does. She gives anyway. And she doesn't give a lot, but Jesus says she's giving more than anybody else because everybody else is giving out of their excess, and she can't afford it. She's still worshiping with her money. She's still giving what she can. She she did what she could. That's not the, Is it the same lady? That's not the same lady, okay. but the idea here is the same. Okay. This woman here who's anointing with the expensive oil, it's like an excessive gift. And people are like, wow, this is like a year's wage, this tiny little bit of oil. Like, this is an excessive gift. And she's giving this over-the-top thing, and Jesus says, she's done what she could. And it's the same idea. She had the same heart as that old widow who gave a little bit, because she is giving what she could. And she's giving it with her whole heart. She's not holding back, oh, but I can't afford it, um, I shouldn't give, or I can't give, or making some excuse. But she's actually willing to to give to God with her whole heart. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, so he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Um mm-hmm. Judas, he loved money. John's gospel says that he's, he stole from Jesus and Jesus' ministry the whole time. And Jesus knew about it the whole time. But he was, he was a thief. He was supposed to be, he was in charge of the money, but he was actually skimming a little bit off the top. He was embezzling money. He was stealing from Jesus and his ministry. And Jesus said that you can't serve two masters. You either serve God or money. Jesus said that very plainly. And Judas, very early on, he chose his master. He chose his God. And this right here, this was too much for Judas to handle, seeing his God dishonored in this way, where it's like, oh, man, like that's a lot of money to just be pouring on one man. And so it's too much. And he's like, you know what? That's too much. I'm, I'm, I'm going to betray Jesus. And that's when he, in all of the Gospels, that's the point at which it says, and he decided to, to betray Jesus at that moment. Verse 12, now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, right, that sacrifice for the Passover, they killed that lamb. Uh, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? This is our third question for the evening. Where do you want us to go? This is a, a godly request. This is a godly question that we should consider asking Jesus. Where do you want us to go? always pray for guidance and ask God to be a part of what you're planning, right? God, I I have this thing that I'm going to try and do. Uh, How do you want me to do it? God, I'm going to you know, move out of state. God, where do you want me to to go? Whatever it is, I'm going to go on this missions trip. Where do you want me to go? I have this money to give. Where do you want me to give? Always be asking God for that guidance and he will help you. He will speak to you. He will give clear instruction if you're asking him and you're seeking to do the right thing. Verse 13. And he uh, sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you, carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So the disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the passover. Uh, this is, again, one of those, it had to be amazing and just continually surprising that Jesus would give these specific prophecies, like, oh, just go into town, you're going to see a guy with a pitcher of water, follow him. That's our house. Like, this very specific thing, and it happened. They're like, this is awesome. Like, a- after a while, they probably just expected it. But this is an incredible thing that Jesus would do throughout his ministry. And here we have our fourth question. Where's the guest room? And uh, Pastor Dave has taught many times before about making yourself a burden on your friends. Right? That's what we always kind of say and think, like, oh, we don't want to be a burden. Right? But Pastor Dave says, hey, it's actually, like, a good thing to, like, Make a burden of yourself on a friend. Um, Because when you say, hey, can you help me with this? Hey, can you do me this favor? Or hey, you know, whatever that that burden is. Like, oh, I don't want to burden my friends. But asking for favors actually draws you closer to a friend and actually strengthens that friendship. And here Jesus is asking his followers to request hospitality. Where's the guest room, right? Um, And I was always raised... And told not to invite yourself over to a friend's house, right? That it's kind of a rude thing to do. Like, hey, don't invite yourself over. Don't be, don't be rude. And that, again, I agree with that. Don't be rude. Don't just like, hey, I'm coming over. Like, you, don't be a, a rude person, but it's okay to invite yourself to a friend's house sometime. Like, hey, can we hang out? And you and I have these friends who have kids, and when we want to hang out with them, we always say like, hey, like, let's have dinner. Can we come over? Because it's so much easier for us to go there than for them to like pack up the kids and wrangle them all to come here or to like go to a restaurant. So we're always kind of like, hey, like, we can, you know, we can bring the food or we can pitch in to help or however that works. But like, let's hang out. We're, let's, we're coming over. We don't obviously we're coming over. But hey, when does it work for you? You know, invite yourself over, make yourself a burden in that way of like, hey, it's it's okay to, like, you know, grow that friendship that way. Christians are supposed to be hospitable. If you remember when we went through First Peter, and it says it elsewhere, too, though, uh, all Christians are supposed to be hospitable people. So, you know, ask that of somebody every now and then. That, that's 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 okay to do. Verse 17, as we move on and look at our next question. In the evening, he came with a tale. This is Jesus. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. You can imagine the temperature in the room sort of changing. (laughs) Whoa, this got heavy real quick. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, One by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips With me in the dish. This is our fifth question. Is it I? And this is a godly question to ask. This is, this is a godly thing to be introspective, to consider the warnings of the Bible and not to think of yourself too highly. Like, oh, I'll never, I'll never fall. I'll never fail. Like, you are able to fail. You, it is possible for you to fall. That's why there's so many warnings not to fall or not to fail or not to wander off or follow some dangerous false doctrine. You are likely to deny Jesus. Don't be afraid of these things, but recognize your downfalls and repent of your failures. Realize like, okay, I'm going to try my hardest not to deny Jesus. I'm going to try my hardest not to fall or fail. But when I do those things, I need to repent and get back in right relationship and continue to obey and move forward in that relationship. Verse 21. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Judas Iscariot is about to, has already started to betray Jesus. And here Jesus is saying that his punishment is going to be severe. Again, we've talked about this before on other nights and in our series on in First and Second Peter. Uh, but the closer that you are with God in a relationship, if you then turn away from him, the harsher that punishment will be. Really? Yeah. yeah. So like in Peter, it talks about uh, Tatarus. It says that word, and it's translated in your Bible as hell, but it's the only place in the Bible where that, where hell is, that, that word exists only once in the Bible, Tatarus, and it means the deepest abyss of hell. It's the, it's the, it's the worst place, and it's reserved for the angels, because uh. who turned from God. The closer you are, the more you know God, if you turn away, the worse it'll be.
1: It's crazy, too, because I know it doesn't say it in this gospel, but in one of the other ones... Like, Jesus tells him, like, go do your business, basically. Oh, yeah. And Jesus leaves. And it's like, man, that's so crazy to think that you could be at a place where he just called you out and said in front of your face, like, it would be better that you would not been born. And basically says, like, yeah, I know you're going to go betray me. And then you're going to do it. <laughs> like
0: Right. But, like, <laughs> when you, when you, he, he clearly didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Yeah. And like, if you have somebody who's an enemy, no matter what they say, you're gonna translate it as false, or or you're you're just not gonna be hearing it as
1: you set his heart against yeah, him. Yeah, he had
0: already right? he'd already yeah. made up his mind, and so him saying that he was kind of like, oh, right, I don't will. You know, he he had already made himself an enemy of Jesus.
1: If he stuck around, the disciples probably would have been ostracizing him or something after they heard
0: Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Where Where did you say that? Who went to that t- Tartarus place? Uh, Peter says that it's reserved for the angels. He says that... Did they say anyone in, from the Bible went there? Uh, no, it's just he, uh, he's talking about the angels, and he says that they'll be cast into Tartarus, and that's translated hell, but it's talking about the angels will be sent to Tartarus. Oh, because they were close with God. Yeah, I mean, they were heaven. They were oh, okay. dwelling in, in God's presence, right? Verse 22, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. This is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as we talked about. And the unleavened bread is Christ's uncorrupt body that is going to be broken for us. Verse 23, Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Leviticus talks about how the blood of a thing is in its blood, and it was forbidden to drink the blood of any animal. Right? Life Be- of the
1: things.
0: Yeah. Oh. So the, anything is life is yeah. in the blood. So that's why you weren't supposed to eat blood, you weren't supposed to drink blood, you weren't supposed to intake it. And then in, in John 6, Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. And I will raise him in the last day. And that's the reason they freak out is because of that passage in Leviticus. Like, whoa, drinking blood like that's like evil, wicked, oh. not okay. You can't do that. And that's when they say, this is a hard saying. And many of Jesus' followers at that point leave because Jesus says, you need to drink my blood if you if you actually follow me. And they, they left him in that day. And what Jesus is saying, and right after he says that in John 6, he says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are truth. He's using allegory here, and what he's saying is you need to partake of Jesus, and you need to receive his life within yourself if you are to be saved. That's, that's the whole point of what he was saying in John 6 and of communion. We're, we're proclaiming what Jesus did, and we're receiving the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus within ourselves. Also, I want you to take note of the imagery of the cup here. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and drank from it and said, This is my blood. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more about the cup later, but I just wanted you to take note of it there, that this cup, it's a, a cup of blood, and it's a covenant. And this blood covenant means that judgment will pass over those who believe in it, just like in the Passover, right? If you had faith in what... God was doing, then you took that lamb in, you killed it, you painted the doorsteps, and judgment would pass over that household and into the houses that didn't have faith. And that is the same thing that's going on here. Verse 25 now. Surely, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying here that what needs to be done is gonna be done. I'm gonna I'm gonna drink this cup. And this cup will be when I drink it, it will bring the kingdom of God. Also, I like to think that he's looking forward to the heavenly wine. Isaiah talks about the that God will prepare a table for for his people and it'll be all the choicest meat and the best wine. And so I kind of imagine Jesus being like, the next time I drink wine it's gonna be It's going to be the best wine. (laughs) Uh, But he's also contemplating, right? He's going to drink this, this cup of blood. He's going to drink God's wrath. And again, we'll talk about that in a minute. But verse 26 now. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, this Friday we're going to partake of communion. We are going to be singing hymns. I think we talked about it last week, but... We're going to be doing a Good Friday service at Hope Chapel, Long Beach. So if you want to join us there, uh, we're going to be taking communion. We're going to be proclaiming what Jesus has done for us, and we're going to be singing hymns together. So, On Friday? On Friday night at 7, yeah. So I just want to throw that little shameless plug in there, <laughs> since they sing a hymn right after they do communion. Sounds good. That's what we're going to be doing. It's going to be uh, Trader Joe's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Not at Tinder Joe's, but (laughs) here. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, a lot of people there. (laughs) Yes, just go for it. Verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. But after I have raised, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not. He doesn't even hear when I have raised. He just kind of like throws that out and says, well, Yeah, well, I'm not going to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. For if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Here we have Two more questions, numbers 6 and 7. And it actually doesn't come from this passage. If you want to, I'm going to flip over to Luke chapter 22 real quick. You don't have to. It's just a couple of verses. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. It says, And the Lord said, This is kind of right at the same moment, right? Right when Peter's like, I'm not going to, whatever. And uh, Jesus says here, Simon, Simon, indeed... Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren."
1: That's cool that Jesus prayed for him. I'm like, oh, Jesus prayed
0: for me. <laughs> he did, yeah. actually. And in this same time, I'm not going to go there, but John 17 is a yeah. it's the longest prayer recorded by Jesus, and he does yeah. pray for Simon in that prayer right around this time, right in this setting when they're taking communion, they're singing songs, and Jesus prays for everybody that God had given them, and he prays for you guys too, each of us individually. He says, I not only pray for these that you have given me, but... The ones who haven't been saved, who haven't believed, that will come by the word of these, right? So he prayed for us in that prayer, which is really cool to think about. But the the two questions here are Satan's question that he's asked to sift the disciples like wheat, but then Jesus's godly request: he's prayed for you that your faith might not fail. Jesus stands as our advocate. The Bible says that. Satan is an accuser, and he stands accusing God's people day and night. But the good thing, the good news is that we have an advocate standing in that same place, praying for us, right? Advocating for us against Satan. And if you look at that language in Luke, in the uh, original Greek, it says he has, asked to, he has asked for you. It's actually a plural you. He's asked for all the disciples to sift them as wheat, But then he says, but I have prayed for you. That's singular. He's saying to Peter, I've prayed for you personally. Right? And again, in that prayer in John 17, he does pray specifically and generally for his people. He's prayed for Peter specifically. He's prayed for his people specifically. He's prayed for us generally, but he's also prayed for us specifically. He's our, he's our advocate. He knows our name. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He, He loves us. He's praying for us. He's, he's there speaking against Satan and advocating for us in the presence of God. I have here the deceivers trying to sift us all as wheat, but Jesus has prayed for us. And in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, again, I'm just going to quickly go there. If you want to join, you may. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That is the atoning sacrifice. That's what propitiation means. He, he's our atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The last question that I have for you on this point is: Have you prayed for those who are being tempted? Galatians six says that if one has been overtaken by a sin, those who are spiritual should bring him back, bear each other's burdens, right? Pray for those who are. That's in Galatians six. Oh. Very beginning of Galatians six. James says almost the same thing, huh? Or he says like, if you do bring him back, just know that you did something good for the kingdom. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Matthew 18 says something similar to that as well, but pray for those who are being pulled away. Pray for those who are being tempted and obviously pray for yourself as well. Right. Okay. As, as we said, like be introspective, like, all right, God, help me. This is going to be a tough one, but pray for those who you see like, oh man, like, I'm not sure where they're at. Um, God help them, strengthen them, be with them. You know, cause Satan's trying to sift them as wheat, which is an interesting imagery, right? And we think about sifting as wheat, and there's been a lot of speculation there. But what I believe Jesus is saying is, those who God has given Jesus, Satan wants to pull you out and, and consider you shaft. He wants to say all of the wicked things you've done. But I am standing as your advocate. I am praying for you, that you will stay with the wheat, that you will stay with the, the good things, that you will stay with the righteous. Verse 32 in Mark 14. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. These are his closest, best, dearest friends. It's who he confides in. It's who he takes with him to pray with him every time he goes out by himself. So he takes these three and he began to be troubled. And deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will but what you will. He's talking about the cup of his blood? Yeah. So, that cup, the Old Testament speaks of God's wrath being a cup a lot. Um, that cup is the wrath of God. And he's saying, God, let it pass from me. This is a hard thing to do. Um, and sometimes when people talk about this, they kind of play down that Jesus was fully man. Jesus was fully man. He had emotions. He had worries. He had deep distress. He was very, very sorrowful. He was, yes, fully God, but he, he humbled himself as a man and was fully man. and He had all of the emotions of a man. And he is, we would call him, very depressed here. And he had much anxiety. And he's not like, you know, chewing on a root or trying to take some <laughs> drug to bury it. But he's he's it's praying hard. that God would help him and, and let it pass from him.
1: It's cool. He actually prays a prayer that I feel like every Christian prays. Like when you're asking for something... You say, like, he says all things are possible for you. He's telling God, yeah. like, I know all things are possible for you. Like, please do this thing for me. But then
0: your will, not my will.
1: It's,
0: it's like, incredible.
1: Yeah. And
0: this is one of the the, the things that um, kind of really sparked my interest in doing this series is the of the godly requests, right? Mm-hmm. This, this is a very godly request. And I, I also, I don't want to miss... That, that Jesus can emphasize with us. It says that in Hebrews, that we don't have a high priest that, that can't sympathize with us, right? He, he can empathize, not, not just sympathize, like, oh yeah, I know what you're going through. He has gone through the same things we've gone through. He has been betrayed by a close friend. All of his friends abandon him. He has been deeply depressed. He has had major anxiety. Uh, other gospels record here that as he's praying this prayer, his sweat, that he he was sweating when he was praying. That's how hard he was praying. But not only was he sweating, but it turned like great drops of blood, like he is super stressed out. And this is actually a, a medical um, thing that people have actually stressed out that much. And Jesus did. Really? Yeah. So it's, it's a real it's a real thing. It's this is our like, eighth question. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say it's it's like a good thing to think about too because. I feel like it can be discouraging as a Christian to be like, I know God could, like, do this miracle and change the circumstance. And it's like, God, I know you can do these things. And it's like, well, Jesus knew that too, and he said the exact same thing saying right now. But he was like, He, He, God didn't make him not die on the cross. Yeah. And that was God's will, and Jesus, like, submitted himself to that. So, like, we should be able to do the same thing, like, even though we know Amen. God can heal that cancer or, like, stop whatever from happening or change your circumstances. Like, if he doesn't, then, like, you should look to Jesus as an example of, like, humble submission. Exactly. I feel like it's easier to do, maybe, if you're like, okay, well, God went through the same thing.
0: But it's, it's good. Yeah. It, you have to... You have to see that. And yeah. to me, this is like one of the most important godly requests, right? We need to look at Jesus' example. And this is number eight for tonight. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Remember last week, we talked about having faith, right? And Mark 11 says, if if you ask believing, then you're going to receive that thing. And people misuse that verse. And they, they teach falsely from it. And what we talked about last week is that if you... Know something is the will of God, then ask expecting it, right? James says, ask for wisdom, he's going to give it freely, you know? There are certain things that we can ask for, knowing that God will give it. And those things that we know he's going to give, the, the truth of the thing, okay, God, I know this is of you. So ask expecting it. But if you're not sure, then ask as a child asks a father. And that's what Jesus does here. Abba, father, right? Abba meaning daddy. That's like the affectionate name for a father in that time. Like, he's just crying out to his dad. And he's asking for this super possible thing. And who had more faith than Jesus? Those who say, like, oh, if you just have enough faith, you can ask for whatever you want and God has to give it to you. you got to muster up that faith. No. Jesus had full faith. He knew God as in full glory, he had seen God. John says that no one has seen God, but the Son has seen God. Jesus lived with God. He had full faith, and he his request is not granted. This is a very godly request. Again, notice that imagery of the cup. Let that cup pass from me, as mm-hmm. we talked about. That cup being the wrath and justice of God. It is the cup full of blood. If you have faith in Jesus and his sacrifice for your sins, then the cup of God's wrath was drank by Jesus in your place for you. But if you reject Jesus, then you will drink that, that cup of wrath, that bloody cup. God's wrath and justice will be carried out. So there's, there's two options there. Either It's already been carried out on Jesus once and for all. It is done. And anyone who has faith in him and his sacrifice, you're covered by that wrath being taken out on Jesus. Or at the end, you will be punished and rejected for rejecting Jesus. If you know the gospel, it's been laid out in front of you and you say, nope, then the wrath of God will fall heavy on you and you will spend eternity in damnation and hell. three hundred thirty seven to thirty eight now and look at our final question. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch an hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This final question is Jesus It's a command from Jesus to have the godly request of praying so that you will not enter temptation. This is a a really good tactic. If you're going into a position or you have something that you struggle with, when you're going in, when you're right there, pray. Whether it's being unforgiving, this has worked for me, or it's like you really have this thing against somebody, pray for them. And don't just pray like, I'm supposed to pray, so I'm just going to pray, blah, 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 blah. But really actually pray for your enemies, and God will shift your perspective and change your heart, and you will actually full-on forgive your enemies. If it's a situation where you get yourself in trouble, whether it's late at night, clicking around on the computer or on your phone or thinking about people or reading books that you shouldn't be reading or whatever, watching shows you shouldn't be reading— When you enter into that temptation, stop and say, God, help me. I need your power to to help me in this situation, to overcome this temptation. For Peter, it was staying awake for his friend. Your stress will never be felt by your friends the way you want it to be. (laughs) Whenever you go through something, when you're abandoned or you have a broken heart or you just are are full-on stressed... You're going to want your friends to be there for you and they're going to be asleep or they're not going to be around, you know, and it's like we need to be forgiving to them also. Right. But realize that Jesus went through this. Jesus was in the most stressful moment of his life and his friends are like, like not there for him at all, not watching his back, not even praying for him. Jesus is like man you can last an hour <laughs>
1: And they knew that he was like distressed cuz obviously they knew because they saw him and it's written down in the gospels
0: They saw him sweating like great drops of yeah. blood like they saw that he was stressed they saw that he was deeply sorrowful right They see his his situation and they're like oh yeah but Jesus I sure am tired <laughs> and they just can't be there for Jesus yeah. So pray during temptation that you can be there for your friends and when you see your friends distressed right the Bible says this multiple times um, Jesus says it right to, to mourn with those who mourn right to laugh with those who laugh yeah but again Ecclesiastes says it's better to be in the house of mourning than the, than the house of laughter like don't just cover oh everything's fine everything's great that's what we try and do that's like our thing right Social media has trained us to just put out the best of us and don't let anybody else see the dirt. But it's better to be honest, and when you see your friend in need, pray that you can be there for them the way that that Jesus would be there for them. Pray that Jesus would help you in those those moments. Pray that God would deliver you from the evil one, keep you from temptation. Say, Lord, give me strength. Whatever the situation, whether it's being there for a friend or in a time of temptation, say, God, please give me wisdom. Again, James says if you ask, he'll give it freely, right? These are all godly things to ask for, godly requests. And there are things that the Bible says, if you ask this, then he will give it. Those things you can ask with full on knowing that God will give you those things. God, give me more faith. God, give me more strength. God, give me more guidance. God, give me more wisdom. God, help me to... Be a more godly person. If you continue in prayer, then he will draw you closer to himself. And God will help you to to grow in faith. and And continue to ask for the things that he wants you to ask for. Continue to, you know, not like ask for whatever you want, muster up enough faith and he has to give it to you, but go to God as a child and say, God, I don't know. This is what seems right to me, but your will be done. Ultimately, I want to do your will. And the closer you grow to God, the more He will reveal Himself to you and reveal His will to you, so that He you will be able to ask, knowing what the truth is, and then receive it because you know who He is. Right? Jesus says in the parable of the talents. Right? He gives these men different amounts, one guy buries it, one guy invests it, and the other guy, like, invests it in, in and makes way more, right? And when when he finishes the parable, right, and he rebukes the man who buried it, oh, I knew you you would punish me if I lost it, so I just buried it. He's like, you should have at least put it in the bank. It would have gotten interest. Like, you, you didn't even do that. You, you did nothing with and many have said that those talents, that's your faith. That's the faith that is given. If you do nothing with it, then you'll be cast into hell. Just like that guy was cast into you know, the deep, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And at the end of that parable, Jesus says, To those who have, more will be given. and Those who don't have, even what they do have, will be taken from them. This is true in a lot of ways, but it's very true with faith. When you grow in faith, God will reveal himself more. He will continue to speak within you. He will fill you with his spirit, and that spirit will testify more of the truth. And you'll just become more and more sure. Yes, you're going to have deeper doubts because you're going to be like, whoa, like this is, the devil's going to continue to attack you and try and tear your faith apart. But if you continue to pray for, to God for strength in those moments, then he will continue to be faithful and draw you to himself. So we're going to stop there. We've led right up to when Judas is about to walk up and full-on betray Jesus. I'm going to stop there because on Friday night, we're going to talk about the cross and focus on what Jesus said on the cross. And we'll, we'll contemplate that on Friday night. And then on Easter Sunday, he is risen. We'll, we'll magnify him and glorify him for rising from the dead and conquering death and Satan and even the wrath of God for our sakes. So we'll we'll pray now and um, fellowship together. Dear Father, I just want to thank you so much for sending Jesus to do this ridiculously hard thing, God. Um, Thank you for empowering him in the, the hardest moments. We know that he was fully man, so it actually was difficult for him to do these things. But God, thank you for being faithful to him and strengthening him in those moments so that he can be faithful to you uh, in order to die as a sacrifice that we might have right relationship with you and, and come to Bible studies like this and lean more into you, learn more about you, and draw more truth out of your Word. God. We thank you for all of these things. We thank you for this time of Easter. I pray that you will continue to help us focus on you and lean into you and trust in you and ask in faith those godly requests god i pray that you will continue to help us grow in faith and help us also strengthen and encourage uh, those around us for people who don't know you to draw them into right relationship with you and god for those who do know you i pray that we encourage people to grow to know you more father we love you and praise you